If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 15 to 23. We're going to kind of finish this chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back or one of the pew backs in front of you. And uh, Romans is about three quarters of the way through your Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 6, the big number 6, and then the small number 15. Now, as you think about your life, as you think about all that is going on right now, anybody kind of long for freedom in their life? Anybody just like, man, I just, it just feels like life is crushing. It feels like no matter what I do, I'm making the wrong choice. Like, it doesn't matter, like, I mean, just turn on social media and you can see, like, no matter which choice you make, there's people on both sides that are going to kind of hammer you for that. And, and we just kind of long for a freedom, don't we? You know, we even kind of see that right now with this situation in Ukraine and the, and the different uh, views that are coming out and, and the, the view that Vladimir Putin is giving to his nation that, that this is a freedom from the Western democracy and freedom from Western powers potentially invading our country. So you even see this, this con- conflict that's going on is this desire for freedom. And what's interesting is that I'm not sure how you feel, but over the last two years, just with everything going on in the world, I feel more of a longing for freedom than ever before. More of a longing to to somehow get out of of this, this weight that's on me, this weight that is just on us living as people. And what's interesting is that uh, what we think is the answer is that if we can just get this way off, then we can be free to live life the way that we want to live. Except the reality is if we get that weight off of us, there's just a new weight coming on us, isn't there? It's interesting, we, we kind of live in this time period in which we have those who, who love law and love power and want to exert that on others. And we have some of us who say we hate the law, we hate rules, we just want to overthrow that. And what we think we're doing is going to experience freedom by overthrowing the law. And what we actually do is just create a new law, right? We say don't do this or do that. And the problem is, is that our whole focus in this moment, in order to achieve freedom, our whole focus is on law. And what Paul's going to show us this morning is that the only way to have freedom is actually to look to the Lord. So a number of years ago, I heard an illustration that James Dobson, who was the former uh, president of Focus on the Family, it was going to come to me, uh, former president of Focus on the Family, and he uh, gave this illustration. They actually did a study of a school uh, of second graders. And it was interesting because at recess, they let the second graders play, and there was a fence along the property line. And it was interesting because they kind of watched what the kids did at recess. And you know what the kids did at recess? They ran to the fence, looking beyond the fence, looking at what life could be like beyond the boundaries, beyond the barriers around them. So they had an idea. Let's take the fence away. 
and let's see what these students do. And so some time goes by and they take the fence away. And you know what the students did at that moment? I, I may have told you this, but you know what the students did at that moment? Instead of roaming free, thinking, great, now I can be out of school, I can roam the streets, I can, I can explore, like the whole world is at my fingertips. What they actually did is they gathered together in the middle of the playground, huddling together as if in fear. You see, we think that freedom comes when we remove structure. Freedom actually comes when we have the right structure. And this morning, what we're going to see, and what Paul's going to challenge us with, is the very place that we are looking for freedom. We all have this sense. I mean, we're Americans. We, we love our freedom. And yet Paul's going to redirect us to where we can actually find freedom. And he's going to show us that the real freedom that we're looking for is not in what we can do, in what we can decide, but actually by falling under the lordship of God. And so the main point that we're going to see this morning is, God, is that God's lordship leads that it's not your lordship, it's not your decisions, but it's actually God's lordship that leads to true freedom in life. It's not by overthrowing some sort of power, but it's actually by submitting to the greatest power the world has ever known. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And as we do, would you stand with me as we read God's word? We stand because... We want to honor God's word, and we want in our hearts to just receive God's word this morning. Romans 6, starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things in which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. 
So this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has written to the church at Rome. He's never met this church, but he's writing to ensure that they are on the same page about the gospel truths. And the reason for that is because Paul has been so changed by the truth of Jesus that he cannot contain himself, and he just wants to take that truth to the world around him, starting churches, Church, do you realize that the number one way of reaching people with the truth of Jesus Christ is by starting new churches? Statistically speaking, when you think about all of the different ways, different methods that you can utilize to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, the number one uh, effective way is actually starting new churches. That's why we began I think it was about March, 11 years ago, Pastor Corey Mitchell from Winfield Baptist stood up and, and said, instead of, instead of being a church that gathers and continuously gathers and building this massive machine, why don't we instead start churches where people live so that others might hear the truth of Jesus Christ? And so this October, we will celebrate 10 years as a church doing just that. And some of you uh, are incredibly thankful because of the ministry that God has utilized here has actually led you to an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. And we want to be a church that doesn't just uh, be a clog in the pipe, if you will, kind of stopping that, but rather continuously taking that same message and starting churches all across our valley. That's why we brought up Chapin and Mandy Jones, because we want to see a, a healthy church started in Sealands Grove. And this morning, they're actually at a uh, sister church of ours up in Williamsport preaching and, and trying to invite that congregation in to partner with them. And so you can be praying for them. But we do that not because we were geniuses or, or somehow I had this great idea and we said, hey, let's do this. No, we do this because this is the very heart of the good news of Jesus Christ that drove Paul to say, hey, let's take the good news around the world. And so now Paul wants to take the news to Spain, the other end of the empire, and as he does so, he says, I need help. I need prayer and I need financial partners. So he writes this letter. And at the end we'll see he's essentially saying, hey, now that we're on the same page with the good news of Jesus Christ, can you give to me so I can take this to Spain? And so Paul's been arguing all throughout the letter that the gospel is the power of God, so powerful that it brings salvation to not only the religious Jews, but also to the heathen Gentiles. And this gospel is so powerful that you and I, who have nothing to offer, you and I, as Paul says, uh, that no one does good. No one is righteous. No one seeks for God. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. And he shows us that in the middle of that, in the middle of our sinfulness, the gospel is so powerful and so good that what it tells us is that God sent his son Jesus and he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus that while we were still sinners, 
Not when we had our life cleaned up. Not when we could teach well or know the Bible well or had our house in order. No, when we were sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And so Paul's been kind of mounting this argument about the grace of God. And if you're following the argument, you might think, just like Paul's reader, well, if God gives me incredible amount of grace, that the more I sin, the more I go against God, the more grace I get, why not keep sinning? I think I used this illustration before, but if you paid me $5 every time I said my wife's name, I'd be saying her name the rest of the day because I'd make a ton of money, right? If you're not careful, you can think about God's grace that way. You can think, man, if God's going to give me more and more grace every time I sin, why not continue to sin? And we saw at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, how in the world can we think that way? Because if we have been united to Christ, what that means is that we died with Christ. And that as Christ rose from the dead, we too rose to an entirely new life. As we saw last week, this new life actually should lead us to forsake our sin. To no longer live by the flesh, no longer live by our own desires, but instead live based on Jesus Christ. That our minds and our hearts should be so shaped by Jesus that we begin to live differently. And now this morning, he's going to continue that line of thinking and helping us to understand that because of Jesus, we are given a new freedom Not a freedom to sin, but a freedom to live for Christ. And to show us that, Paul's going to show us three observations, if you will, of what this freedom in Jesus Christ actually looks like. So let's look at these three observations. The first observation he shows us is kind of the negative side of it. And he shows us what false freedom actually does. That false freedom from God leads... To slavery to sin. Now, you and I have this notion that if we can just uh, remove God or remove whatever authority over us, then we will have freedom. And what it actually is, and what it actually does, it further enslaves us to sin. And what Paul's going to show us here is that if you follow Jesus Christ, you you don't uh, you are not you and I are not given the freedom to kind of straddle the line. You understand what I mean by that? You know, so often we, we, we love the things of the world, and so we kind of give ourselves to that, but then we add Jesus to our life, and so we kind of ride the fence or straddle the line, if you will, having one foot in the camp of the world and one foot in the camp of Jesus Christ. That doesn't work. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that you and I need a new birth. We need a regeneration. That's not kind of just add Jesus to your life. That is a complete 180. In fact, Mark tells us in Mark 1.15 that the kingdom of God is at hand and that what you and I need to do is to repent and believe. Not add Jesus to your life, but do a 
180 degree shift in your life to go an entirely different direction against your natural state. If we're not careful, we miss that. If we're not careful, we, we think that as long as I give credence to Jesus, I'm fine. And Paul shows us how absurd that is. Look with me at verse 15. He starts with questions again. All throughout chapter 6, 7, and 8, he has these questions. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And notice his answer, by no means. It's almost as if Paul is saying, hey, I I get what you, you might be feeling at this moment. If we are no longer under the law and the law is removed from our life and we are under this category of grace that no matter what we do, no matter how many times we fail, God will give us grace, then shouldn't we continue to sin and experience that grace? And Paul's just saying that's foolish. It does not make sense. And yet many people live like that, don't they? We even live like that at times, don't we? You see, we live like that when we lessen the effect of our sin. We live like that when we act like our sin is no big deal. When we call our sin a mistake. Now, our sin is a high-handed rebellion against the God of the universe. When we act as if, yeah, I messed up, but there's grace. And we talk as if sin is just kind of a flippant ordeal. Almost as if in our lives, our problem really isn't our sin. Our problem is really our confidence or how we feel in the moment. It's interesting, we're going to see in chapter 8, verse 13, that that Paul's going to tell us that we are called to put to death the deeds of the body. That doesn't sound flippant. That sounds like a, a very active, pointed direction, decision to ensure that, that sin is out of our bodies. Sin is out of our lives. Because we understand the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. You see, I think one of the reasons why we don't like to talk about sin is because we hate this feeling that we fail. Anybody love to fail? Like, you fail and you're like, all right, yeah. We hate it, right? We hate this feeling of failure. And so what we do is we talk about boosting our self-esteem Man, i, I got to find some way so I can feel good about myself. And then when we interact with one another, we do that same thing. Someone starts to feel guilty over their sin or, or starts to feel the weight of their decision. And we immediately want to jump in and maybe we say some platitudes. Oh, it's not that bad. Or, or you're okay. Or you're a good person. The Bible actually says that we're not good. Do we, do, do we want to go back to Romans 3? 
That wasn't a fun sermon, right? No one's good. No, not one. But we do those as a way to almost release the pressure that we feel and we want to have some sort of freedom in the middle of this weight of our sin. And when we do that, what we're actually, uh, what we're not understanding is the gospel. What we're actually denying is our sin and our need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is not that you and I are drowning. The gospel is that you and I have drowned, we are dead, we are laying lifeless on the, at the bottom of the pool when Jesus jumps in, picks up our body, takes it out, breathes life into us, and resurrects us again. You don't need self-esteem. You need a new Savior. And yet, so often... We run to these other things thinking that they're going to give us some sort of freedom, some sort of, of life, something that, that we're looking for. And notice how we do that in verse 16. Paul continues his questions. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What's Paul doing? He's saying that there are two paths, and only two paths. There's no middle ground. We either present ourselves to sin, or we present ourselves to God. And if we present ourselves to sin, he's going to show us the result in a moment. But how do we present ourselves to sin? I think some of the ways in which we present ourselves to sin is that, that we have this idea of, of, of something that will, will give us freedom. And so we give ourselves to that. It might be a substance like alcohol. It might be a relationship. It might even be shopping. It might be food. It might be knowledge, it could be status, whatever it is that you think is alluring, that, that if I just have that, then I'll be satisfied. Have you ever gotten that thing that you wanted? What happens? You're empty, right? You need more of it next time. It doesn't last. You're right. It's interesting, as a sports fan, and unfortunately a fan of teams that don't like to win championships, when they finally won, when my baseball team finally won, it was like, ah, finally, we get to celebrate. And then the next day on ESPN, they were already talking about the next year, and I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Let's just enjoy this. But they've already moved on. You see, that desire for winning was an enslavement that did not fulfill. And that's what so often happens in our life, is that we just continue to be enslaved, thinking that it will set us free. And notice what freedom it actually gives us. Look at verse 20. Paul tells us the freedom. 
He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free. Yep, you're free. In regards to righteousness. You're free from walking in the ways of God because you have no idea how to do that. You have no idea of what it looks like to actually obey the ways of God. That's what you're free from when you choose sin. And that's difficult for us because we look at the world and we have people in our lives who, who follow Jesus Christ and, and, or who don't follow Jesus Christ and they look like pretty good people. You in here this morning might be thinking, well, I don't follow Jesus yet, but I'm a pretty good person. Are you? Like, reality, like, if you looked at your life, you, you have to admit that you feel a brokenness, don't you? You have to admit that there's something missing, right? And Paul says that what's missing is the ability to live a righteous life in light of Jesus Christ. That you and I have no ability to actually live for Christ. And look at the result of that. In verse 21, he tells us the, the fruit of it. The fruit is that we were, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You see, our freedom can't come from inside. Our freedom has to come from outside of us. What comes from inside is death. It always leads to death. It leads to discontentment. It leads to this uh, eternal separation from God. That we have no ability to gain life in true freedom in our own power. And we see this playing out right now, don't we? Like, if you're following the, the Christian subculture or whatever you call it, there is a theme going on right now that is called deconstruction. Anybody heard of that before? It's this idea where people are following Jesus Christ and at some point they must have missed what Paul's going to get into in chapter 8 that to follow Jesus is a life of hardship and a life of suffering. And so in the middle of doing that, what they've done is they've said, hey, the true life that I'm looking for is to actually walk away from faith, to walk away from Jesus Christ and kind of deconstruct, if you will, all of these things I once believed and begin to set up a new way of life. And they believe in that moment they will experience freedom. But you know what I've noticed is kind of the result of that? There's two results. One result is that people, when they walk through that, end up very anxious. Why is that? Because if you have no governing authority or structure over you, what is your governing authority and structure? You. And you know, as much as you want to be God, you make a terrible God. The second thing that happens is that truth in our world, if we follow the world's way of truth, it's constantly changing, right? 
the truth that is here today in 2022, we would have been flabbergasted in 2012, right? And so the reality is, is that uh, when we walk away from the ways of God and we think that there's freedom out there, truth is constantly changing, which means that we have to constantly change, which means that we never get to be who we were actually created to be. We never actually experience the freedom that God is offering to you and I. And yet, there is an offer of hope and there is an offer of freedom. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But what does this mean for us today? This means that we have got to be incredibly careful, church. We've got to be incredibly careful because there are things in our life that are subtle that we give ourselves to, and if we're not careful, actually lead us away from God. I think one of them is family. Man, I love my family. The Bible calls us to honor our family, to take care of our family. But there's just a, a, a line at times, if we're not careful, we begin to elevate our kids, or we elevate our parents, or whatever, we begin to elevate our family to a place of God. That no matter what they say, that rules the day more than Jesus Christ. And we think in that moment, we're getting freedom. Like, they like us, this is a, a good experience, and yet we're slowly walking away from the ways of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to be careful that we honor our families, but we've got to be careful that we don't raise them to a place where they were never meant to be. And the other thing is the way we talk, the way I talk. You know, Paul tells us that we are to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only talk that is helpful for building others up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to all who hear. Does your, does your talk do that? If I'm honest, sometimes my talk is about putting others down so I can show how good I am. And in that moment, I've thought that that brings freedom and all it does is just bring further slavery because I'm afraid that someone might have heard that. And now I'm enslaved into those thoughts and those comments. And yet there's freedom from all of that. And Paul shows us that freedom. And so let's look at that freedom. That's what he shows us next. He shows us that true freedom from sin leads to slavery to God. That true freedom is not to be on your own to make decisions for yourself, true freedom is actually found when you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, when you submit yourself to God. That's when we actually experience true freedom. It's interesting, I think I've told this story before, but, but my little one, whenever he gets scared or he's in an uncertain situation, he runs back to me and he clings to my leg, wanting protection, wanting love, wanting me to care for him. You know what he doesn't do in that moment? 
He's not telling me how brutal I am. He's not telling me how much he hates me. He's not telling me how much he wants to overthrow my authority. He just wants to rest in who I am, and he wants my protection. You know, so often we think about the idea of submission as a, as a weight, as, as this, this thing that kind of entraps us. But when we see God as who he is, that he is for our good, according to Romans 8, 28, that he's working everything out for our good, when we see that, we will run to him and we won't feel his submission as a weight, but rather as freedom. We will run to him and submit to him and say, oh, yes, dad, help. You're loving, you're caring. And that's what we see Paul show us here. Look with me at verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God. Church, do you thank God? Do you cultivate in your life a regular occurrence of thanking God? I think if we were to do that, we would probably experience more freedom and joy in life. Because notice what he thanks God for. He says that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's saying... At one point, you were slaves of sin, slaves of unrighteousness that was leading to death, and now God intervened, and thanks to God that from your heart, you are now slaves to this teaching. What's that teaching? The teaching is the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The teaching is the simple truth that you and I have rebelled against God, that God is so loving, so merciful, so gracious, that he sent his son to die, to rise from the dead, to now give you and I new life if we have faith in him, trust in him, dependence upon Jesus. And Paul's saying, thanks to God that you've now been become obedient obedient to this. You have now trusted in that simple truth, and now it is changing the way that you live your life. Church, does the truth of Jesus Christ change the way you live your life? You know, we talk as part of our mission statement that we exist to glorify God by making disciples who love God and live, really it should be live from the gospel. That we see the good news of Jesus and and we begin to see how it changes our life. That it produces a new character in us. That we begin to operate by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we confess sin to one another. And Paul's saying that that's actually possible. It's possible when we come to faith in Christ. And he'll show us in chapter 8 that it's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. But you don't have to do any of this alone. God's Spirit is in you, changing you, empowering you. And notice what that empowerment leads to in verse 18. He says, and having been set free from sin, we become slaves of righteousness. 
You see, we're not set free from sin to kind of live in this middle ground, uncertain or making our own way. Rather, we're set free from sin so we might become slaves to righteousness and slaves to God. You see, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that you were bought with a price. You and I, if we believe in Jesus, we were rescued from our sin and Satan and death and hell, but it cost something. It cost Jesus his very life. It cost him his life to not just have nails in his hands and his feet, but to actually bear the wrath of God upon him and so you and I then don't get to decide what we want we are purchased and that purchasing now tells us that we are called to serve Jesus Christ and Paul kind of shows us that in verse 19 he kind of says it in such a way it's almost like he's apologizing for this imagery look at 19 he says I'm speaking in human terms Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members to slaves, to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Anybody ever watch the show Cops? Right? You know, sometimes it's, uh, maybe in my sinfulness, I, I chuckle. Because if you really watch the show, like, Sometimes people get in trouble, and then they try to get out of the trouble, and they just get in more trouble, and some of them just keep talking, thinking, if I just keep talking, I can somehow get out of it, and they just keep, like, explaining more and more and more and more, and pretty soon the rap sheet's pretty long. Paul's saying that's what happens when we are slaves to sin. It just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. But if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're actually free from that. And we're free to no longer give ourselves to that lawlessness, but rather to give ourselves to sanctification. Now, what's sanctification? It's where you and I are set apart for God. We're set apart from ourselves and from our sin to live for God and to live his ways where we are devoted to God. And so sanctification is where we have been declared right with God, that's justification, and now the rest of our life we are applying that declaration to us and we are beginning to see life change where we look more like Jesus Christ. And church, the more you look like Jesus Christ, the more freedom you will actually experience because guess what? Genesis tells us in chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, you and I were created in the image of God. But that image has been marred by our sin, according to Genesis 3. And now through Jesus, that image can be renewed. That image can be brought, our our lives can be transformed and, and we can look more like that image that we were created to look like. And so what that means is that we need to realize that our life is not for us, but our life is for and about Jesus Christ. 
Man, I long for us to be a people who take holiness and godliness seriously. To be a people who look at our lives and say, I want to grow and look more like Jesus Christ. Then I'm going to think about the way in which I talk. I'm going to think about the way in which I act. I'm going to think about the way in which I think. That it might be in line with Jesus Christ. You know, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to set our mind on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. Like, get your mind around that for a moment. Like, like where's Christ seated right now? According to that, he's in the heavenly places. Well, well what does that mean? It's like this massive throne room that Jesus is seated on his chair, reigning and ruling. Now, people pay good money to go to Buckingham Palace, which is where the queen lives. People pay good money to fly all the way to India and see the Taj Mahal. They pay good money to see these massively beautiful buildings where kings and queens rule. And there is a more massive, more beautiful, more glorious uh, place in heaven where Jesus Christ, who never failed, never sinned, never rebelled, always did what was right and always does what is right is reigning and ruling and now Paul tells us that our minds should be set there we should be thinking about Jesus thinking about his ways thinking about his reign thinking about his rule do you do that because when we do we we grow and we are sanctified. But how do we do that? I've mentioned this book before, but Andrew Davis, he's a, a pastor in North Carolina. He writes this book, The Infinite Journey. And he says the number one way that we grow to look more like Christ is that we immerse ourselves and saturate ourselves in God's word. The more you memorize this, the more you know this, the more you stick it deep down inside, the more you'll look like Jesus Christ. And church, that is glorious, because look at the result in verse 22. Paul tells us, he says, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The end result of this growth is eternal life. Now you might be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought it wasn't based on our works that get us eternal life. It's not. But Jesus tells us in John 14 that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. If we don't keep his commandments, it shows we don't love him. We experience his love, we understand his love, and then we love him, and out of that love, we keep his commandments. And so we need to be a people who keep his commandments. But how do we do that? How do we actually experience this freedom that is found in Jesus where we actually keep his commandments? 
Well, Paul shows us that at the end, that the fruit of true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. The fruit of true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 23. He tells us that the wage of sin is death. We've seen this, right? The, the result or the payment for what you and I do is death. But the free gift of God, notice what he says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the way in which we are able to actually obey, the way in which we're able to actually experience freedom is that we realize that we were enslaved and that the only way to get out of this slavery and the payment for slavery, which is death, is that we run to Jesus and realize that he paid our wage. Church, do you realize that? That you have this wage, you have this bill that you must pay and the only way to get out of that, that someday the bill collector will come and say, where's your payments? And the only way to pay that bill is either you take on yourself for all of eternity the wrath of God or you plead the blood of Jesus Christ, pleading that he who took that payment and paid it in full, that that full payment gets credited to you and I. And when we do that, we actually begin to experience the freedom that we were created to experience. We experience it for all of eternity, but we also experience it now in the present when we live for Jesus Christ. You know, if you love and follow Jesus Christ, what we're doing this morning is a foretaste of what we will do forever, where you will not listen to me as a preacher, you will listen to the man himself, Jesus Christ, God, and worship him forever. So church, are you looking for freedom? Are you recognizing in your life that there are just weights upon you, that you just would love to be able to throw off. The question is, is where are you running for true freedom? Are you running to your ability to obey the law, your ability to overthrow the law, or just a simple trust in looking at the Lord who fulfilled the law? and now can give you and I life and freedom. Church, look to him. He's our only source of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is timeless, it is true, it changes us, it makes us new. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the ways in which you are working but Lord, we, we also want to recognize that so often we, we rebel, so often we run away and, and we try to find freedom in other things. And so Father, we just pray now that you would release us from that. We pray now that you would help us, help us to find freedom in you, to cling to you, to run to you, to experience you and not the things of the world. So, Father, we pray 
In your son's precious name, amen.